This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 807 with Dr. Amy Hoyt. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 807. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Dr. Amy Hoyt is certified in traumatic stress studies and is the founder of Mending Trauma, a digital mental health company that specializes in trauma recovery. As a former professor, Dr. Hoyt led research teams in Africa looking at mass trauma, agency, and forgiveness. She transitioned into the online mental health space during the pandemic in order to help fill the growing mental health need. Dr. Hoyt is obsessed with teaching others to reprogram their brains and heal their nervous systems so they can break generational trauma cycles and live with more joy. She's the mom of five kids, three of whom are differently abled, and she lives with her husband and children in the Ozark Mountains. Oh my goodness. I don't want to sound super weird when I say I love talking about trauma, but I really do. And talking about it with someone who's so, so well-studied and well-researched and just really, really knows the depths of this topic and also how to dig in and really help people just like blew my mind and 
made me so excited because I know that so many of you are going to gain things from this conversation that you can't even see coming yet. So I loved every minute of this conversation with Dr. Hoyt. And uh, we have to have her back because I didn't even get to like half the things I wanted to talk to her about. She really dug deep and shared a lot of knowledge around trauma and symptoms of trauma, the differences between different kinds of trauma responses. And I think that you're going to see some of yourself in this situation because most women are impacted by trauma. And I believe, and we talk about this in, for part of the interview, that anyone who lived through a global pandemic <laughs> has been impacted by trauma. So I know that you're going to walk away learning a little something about yourself or having some insight into something about yourself. And also, my hope is that you walk away feeling like there's something that you can do to start healing without feeling like you have to dig into everything deeply immediately if you don't have the capacity to do that. So I hope that this episode is helpful and also healing to you most immediately. And so, here's what you can expect. Listen in to hear Dr. Amy Hoyt share the definition of trauma, the symptoms of trauma that are more prevalent in moms, which I found really, really interesting. The difference between hypervigilance and hyperarousal, which I'm a person who knows a lot about both, experiences a lot of both. So that was really fascinating to learn about. She digs into the difference between trauma and toxic stress, which is also really fascinating. She talks about the power of being benevolently curious, which I love. We talk about how trauma, or she talks about how trauma is passed down genetically and how we see this across different scientific studies. She also talks about how trauma is passed down in our behavioral interactions with our kids and how knowing about that can really inform how we show up conscientiously, intentionally, and thoughtfully in our behavioral interactions with our kids. And then she talks about how to use micro steps to start processing your trauma in gentle ways. So this is the invitation to take action, but also take action in a way that is like what you have the capacity for right now in your life. And lastly, she talks about the importance of processing the collective trauma of COVID and its impact on our daily lives, our work, and on motherhood. Oh, this is up there with one of our really, really great episodes and one where you might want to listen more than once. You definitely might want to share it. And you also might want to listen to it again in like different seasons of life, because I feel like, you know, after you've gone through a hard thing, no matter where it might fall on the trauma spectrum, whether it's little t trauma, big t trauma, this is an episode that I think is worth revisiting over and over again. And you can just get different takeaways during different seasons of life and in different phases of life. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Dr. Amy Hoyt to the Shameless Mom Academy. Amy, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I'm having a fangirl moment, I'll admit. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that's so nice of you. Well, I know from our few minutes of pre-interview that this is going to be a lot of fun. We're talking about trauma. So like saying like, this is going to be a lot of fun sounds like irreverent, but I also think, and we talked a little bit about this before we hit record, that you can bring levity to heavy things. So we will we'll aim to do that a bit as we also like try to bring a lot of value around heavy stuff today. Absolutely. I love that. And in fact, that's a way of recovering is bringing some levity mm. to the past. So I'm here for it. Good, good. So tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Okay. So I was thinking about this and I know we talked a little bit before we started recording. I'm in this stage of motherhood that I'm 
really enjoying. And I don't know if any of your listeners can relate to this, but the young, young babies were, it was hard for me. It was hard for my nervous system. Mm. I constantly felt like I wasn't getting enough sleep and was overwhelmed. And this new stage, uh, we have five children and our youngest are twins. They're 10 and our oldest has just left home. Yeah. We're a busy house, but I'm actually really enjoying myself. I love that they can't, they have sense of humors and they have, you know, they're just, they're fun. Their activities are more engaging and I can have actual conversations with them. And so I'm just in this part of my life where I'm caring less what people think of me. Thank you. Fifties. I'm (laughs) (laughs) finally, I'm loving the where motherhood is taking me right now. And I'm really enjoying letting go of hustle culture and really kind of stepping into what I know and also not being willing to let go of what's most important to me, which are the connections with the people I love. And Mm -hmm. and it feels good to finally have that confidence to do that. I love that answer. I am laughing a little that you say that you're really loving this parenting between the ages of 10 and 18. Now that you're through like the little kids stuff, because my son is 10 and he doesn't think I'm cool or funny anymore. And that's a real devastation to me. <laughs> and yes. so I am literally borrowing my next door neighbor's child who's four and a half on a regular basis. And I'm like, can he just coming out with me? And the mom, they just had a second baby. So they have this newborn. And the mom was like, you don't have to keep taking him. Like, you don't have to keep doing us this favor. And I was like, oh, no, no. I'm like, yeah. he thinks I'm really funny. I'm so doing I this for me. For walks. Yes. I'm like, he really, he's nice to me. <laughs> So, so I'm not awesome. having that same experience of a 10 year old as you are right yeah. now. Yeah. And you know, the, the truth is, of course, they think I'm a dork and they make fun of me. Right. And you know, there's plenty <laughs> of that too. And yeah. yet for some reason, I don't feel as overwhelmed by this mm, stage. So yeah. I'm going to take yeah. that as a win. Yeah. <laughs> I did find myself on a business trip recently and I was like a day and a half into it. And I was like, oh yeah you have a child that you haven't thought, like when I used to travel for business and he was younger, I was like every hour, like, okay, now he's doing this. And then I text my husband, like, did you do the thing? And now I'm like, oh yeah, I Who? forgot I have Who is this? Like, yeah. Yes. Oh, right. You're a mom. That's right. That's right. Did he eat today? Who knows? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> He'll figure it out. <laughs> I think that's so healthy. I think it's great because yeah, it is. you are connecting in the present moment with the other people there. True. Yes. That's a great way to reframe mom guilt to be like, no, like you were actually connecting in the moment versus that's sitting right. there feeling bad. Yeah. I love yep. that. <laughs> so we're going to talk about trauma today. And I think this is a really interesting season to talk about trauma. I s- said early on in the pandemic, probably like six to 12 months in, I said to a lot of people I was working with and colleagues of mine who work in mental health, I said, I don't think that anyone's going to come out of this unscathed. I think that we're all going to come out carrying trauma. And because it's going to be universal, it's not going to be universally acknowledged because it will be just normalized. So like, well, we all just went through all this hard stuff. And so that's just normal. And that like really, really minimizes what we endured. And now I'm seeing three and a half, three, three and a half years later, and this is just in the last couple of weeks, women, moms losing their lives because of the depths of trauma that they carried from Mm pre-pandemic, but the last few years made it so unbearable. And it's been a real overwhelming thing in my life to have like kind of second degree connections, like friends of friends who have lost their lives. 
in a couple different ways recently, but because of trauma that they didn't know how to face and didn't know how to handle and it ended up costing them their lives. So can we talk about trauma and not in the sense that it's like almost kind of cliche because it is Mm -hmm. so kind of widely discussed as something that impacts everyone. And can you define what trauma is for us? Yes. And, you know, as you're talking, Sarah, I'm thinking of motherhood and, you know, I Mm -hmm. come from a women's studies background, which is now gender studies in most universities. But I remember talking about motherhood in these same terms. It's so normal that we almost minimize that. In fact, you know, there are still people who die during childbirth. There are still costs and effects of motherhood, which I know you're addressing through your work, um, helping women embrace not just motherhood, but an identity outside of motherhood. And so I think it's very similar in the sense that just because we're, a lot of us are experiencing it does not make it any less detrimental. And so when we talk about trauma, I think a definition is important. So it's not cliche and trauma is an event or a series of events that overwhelms us to the point where it produces a threat response. And not only it produces a threat response, but it fundamentally changes how we view ourselves and the world around us. And that that change is definitely for the negative. It produces a sense that the world is less safe. And, you know, there are over 40 symptoms of trauma. And so it probably does seem cliche because there's so many symptoms, but it doesn't make it any less real because so many people are dealing with it. I appreciate that so much. This was actually something that was interesting to me that I learned, I have learned over the last few years. And I will also admit that I'm a sociology major, psychology minor, and I love geeking out on this stuff. So some of this work around trauma is like, oh yeah, I learned that 25 Mm -hmm. years ago. That is, I've kind of recommitted to learning for personal and professional reasons over the last few years. One of the things that was, has been interesting to really think through and process is that trauma isn't necessarily a one-time thing. And that's, I think what we often think about it's, it's like the assault or the, you know, like the one big thing where life changed in a moment versus the repetitive stuff. And I think that that's where the pandemic piece, it's like the chronic every day, day in, day out uncertainty, lack of control, like things falling apart, you know, major fear, yeah. potentially all sorts of very legitimate insecurities, whether that's food insecurity, job insecurity, housing insecurity. I think that that's the piece that is often overlooked and or normalized because it is like you said, it's a little bit like motherhood where like, you don't recognize that you're tired as a new mom when you are sleep deprived for six months, because you don't remember what it felt like to not feel that way. So you're just like, Oh, I've, I'm better now because it just feels normal to be so tired for so long. And I think that that's where we are overlooking some of the pieces of trauma in the last few years is that maybe we've all been traumatized in different ways over the last few years that we haven't had the opportunity to honor. And now there's some pretty significant fallout coming from that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I know this, you know, I've listened to Bessel van der Kolk, who's one of the major figures in the field of trauma right now. And he has talked about not feeling like the pandemic was a collective trauma. And I actually disagree. I think, you know, the evidence he gave was that you still see people walking into the coffee store and you still see people doing what they need to do. I don't think that gets to what's happening internally, that 
while we may go to the coffee store, we may not view our environment as the same as safe anymore. We may not view ourselves the same anymore. And I think that's really hard to determine from the external point of who's going to get coffee. And he's a wonderful scholar. I mean, I absolutely love his work, but on this, I disagree. I feel like this is a collective trauma. Yeah. I was actually just up at my child's school for a meeting this morning and I was sitting in a meeting with other parents and some administrators, and we heard some yelling outside and adults yelling. And I had this moment of like, oh, it's just like, I'm in Seattle. So I should preface it with that. I'm right, in Seattle, right. Big metropolitan city. I'm like, so it's probably like an unhoused person wandering by having a rant about something fairly common, right? The school administration team, they were up and out the door before I could like even think through, oh, wait, I'm on a school campus. Oh, wait, like this is... And it was really interesting to your point that we're all walking into the coffee shops as if life has gone on, but we're also all carrying things that like our hypervigilance, our red flags, our ability to like, oh crap, here it goes. I like, I need to be on guard for certain things. That's right. And then I had this moment after watching the admin team run out the door and I was like, and everything was completely fine, by the way. So everyone's fine. Everything's safe. There was no issue, but I was like, oh wait, like I didn't respond what's wrong with me? (laughs) So like everyone is internalizing things in really different ways and having to respond to the world in different ways that I think do feel and look really different, even though externally we're just like sitting around this table, having this lovely meeting. And then all of a sudden we all go into like, you know, fight Fight or flight. flight. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, that's a great example. That's a really good example. And that's the thing about trauma is when we have those experiences, whether it's a pattern or whether it's a single event, we end up kind of that trauma gets stuck in us. That reaction gets stuck in us. And those triggers, I know you did an episode on triggers a little bit back, um, which was excellent, but those reminders immediately come back when we smell, see, taste, hear anything that is remotely similar. And we just go right back to where we left off because our body does remember. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. 
super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. You mentioned, did you say there's 40 symptoms of trauma yeah, or over 40? Yes. So when you said that, I'm like, okay, so now everyone wants to know all 40. I would love to know if you can talk about some of the common ones, because I think that people just might help that. I think that could be a good reflection for people where they might see themselves. But I would also love if you could touch on some of the maybe less common ones, or maybe the ones that are like specific to moms that we're maybe not yeah. keeping an eye out for that would be helpful for us to be aware Absolutely. of. Absolutely. So I think the most common ones that most of us, especially, you know, we always have mental health awareness month during the month of May of every year. And most people know depression, anxiety, hypervigilance, insomnia is a more common reaction, reactivity, being um, easily aroused in anger or rage. I think those are all fairly common and not very surprising. The symptoms that I see that tend to show up with moms are one would be this kind of arousal where the motor is always running. We don't stop. We go, we work, then we go pick up kids. And then we're doing, you know, a slew of activities for either continuing to work when the kids are taking naps or in their activities. And so this perpetual overworking that can actually be a symptom of unresolved trauma. It's having that arousal where we're kind of stuck in go mode. Um, mm -hmm. Another one that I think we have to look out for, for moms that probably isn't very surprising, but socially women, you know, we tend to be socialized to turn a little bit more inward with our pain, whereas males tend to turn social, at least there's, it's more socially acceptable for them to put that outward, but that's where we get the depression, the anxiety, the perfectionism. And quite frankly, you know, I love being a parent. I mean, we had to do IVF. We prayed and begged for children. Right. And it's also extremely overwhelming and difficult. Mm -hmm. And I really don't, you know, I've worked in a lot of different settings. I've ran research projects looking at really horrific mass traumas. And I have never had the sense of perpetual feeling like I can't catch up as parenting. It's never ending. It's not supposed to end. 
So I think that makes women, because we are socialized to be the primary caretakers, it makes us particularly vulnerable to experiencing that overwhelm. I was just talking this with someone the other day about that. There's never like an okay, like I finished it all. I can like close, like I keep this to-do list in a notebook. And I never, I'm like, oh, now I can close the notebook for like a day or a weekend or whatever. It's always like, if I close it, it's like, well, I got done enough of the things that like things won't implode or explode, but I still always didn't get to like a whole bunch of things. And I think that's a really important piece. And when you look at, so like, I'm going to be parenting like super hands-on if I count if I make the assumption that my child will allow me to support him until he's 18. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know at age 10, he's pretty much Hope ready so. to be done with me. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, that's 18 years. But if you're talking about a parent and I know that there'll be responsibilities and engagement beyond that as well. But if you're talking about a parent with, in your case, five kids, we might be talking about like 25 to 30 some years of hyper arousal yes. and perpetual inability to catch up. And I think that it's really important to talk about what that does to someone's body. That doesn't mean that you don't love being a parent and you don't love being all in and being there for your kids, but what that does to like your nervous system and your um, emotional state and your mental health and your kind of inability to like prioritize your own needs and all those things is Mm -hmm. really significant. Absolutely. You know, I think of it as a marathon because marathons can be very healthy They are wonderful for our mental health. And if we don't hydrate properly, Mm -hmm. not just water, I mean, we're talking sodium, we're talking, there's a whole regimen of making sure that you get through the marathon. And I feel like parenting is the same way. It is going to be hard on our nervous system. It is going to be difficult and we have to have skills and really pieces that we can take from other parts of our non-parenting life to stabilize us along the journey. And I think that that is a unique risk of mothers. I don't, you know, I can't speak for fathers, but I don't see the perpetual and long-term overwhelm of fathers. Like I do with mothers in terms of the parenting aspect, I think career-wise, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. But I absolutely see that. And we see that with people that we work with in our program. We see that with really high functioning, successful women who have children who come in and they just need to learn some skills to regulate their nervous system in the moment of parenting. Um, And of course, outside of parenting, these skills are wonderful as well, but I find that they are most useful during parenting, quite frankly, because our trauma shows up in our daily life. Trauma, yes, it's what happened to us in the past, but it shows up in our daily life. And so we have to deal with it in the present moment. Right, right. I would love to, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to give an example of what hypervigilance and hyperarousal has looked like in my life, because I think it might be helpful for people for who maybe that is, those are new terms. And then if you could fill in any blanks where like, I'm either miss the mark or just not kind of thoroughly explain things. So I was told that I was hypervigilant before I became a mom. I was actually going to a a naturopathic doctor who specializes in sleep. And I had had this horrendous insomnia that I had had for a lot of my life, but it had gotten really, really bad. And so she was like, well, when did you, what's the earliest age that you remember being hypervigilant? And I was like, hypervigilant, like, what are you talking about? And then I was like, as soon as she made me look back, I was like, oh my gosh, like every day of my life since I was eight years old. And so I was able to see like hypervigilance for me was worrying about certain things 
mm-hmm. intentionally worrying about certain things, making sure I save time to worry about certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that. So that's what hypervigilance looked like for me. Hyperarousal that I learned that I also have been gifted with as, and I, both of these come from a trauma response, but hyperarousal, I had a, my therapist a year or two ago was talking about my brain on anxiety. And she's like, when you're in, you are so susceptible to hyperarousal. And so for me, that looks like it's not the worry piece, but it's the, and then I need to do this. And then I need mm-hmm. to do this. And then I need to do this. And it's like the stimulated part of my brain that I cannot turn off. And if it starts to shut down, then mm-hmm. I go into the vigilant of like, oh wait, but I don't know if I'm worrying about these things anymore. And that must mean I'm forgetting. Yeah. So the two really, for me, they really interplay. And um, I share that because I think those two pieces might be really helpful for other moms to see themselves. Can you connect any dots in there that I might've? Sure. No, you did a doctor. (laughs) No, you did a wonderful job. I would just Mm. add that hypervigilance is our threat response. When we have, typically it comes on after a trauma because the main job is to keep us alive. That is our main function of our brain. And so hypervigilance is going to do just that. It's going to make sure that nothing ever happens to us again. Of course, it's false. The brain is trying its best, but it cannot protect us from anything bad happening to us again. And so we start to be on high alert and that is definitely a threat response. And I think you've explained it really well. What it looks like for me would also be similar to what you explained, just five steps ahead, trying to figure out how I can mitigate anything bad happening. And, you know, unfortunately it actually ends up causing more stress and toxic reactions in me than actually protecting me. So the poor brain is trying to protect me and it actually is ending up hurting me. And then hyperarousal, I would say that's spot on. I like to think of it as that motor that just won't turn off. And so many of us working moms, and you don't even have to be a working mom. You can be a a mom that is primarily, you know, working in the home and taking care of children but it is a motor that won't turn off and it's really difficult to silence it to idle. Absolutely. Can you talk about the difference between trauma and toxic stress? You use this phrase toxic stress in your work. And I'm curious what I'm like, Oh, do I have that too? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Checkity check, check. Okay. So this is where I geek out because trauma, at least how we understand it in the modern sense comes from 19th century France. And of course, no surprise for those of us who are feminists, it came from studying hysterical women. And I'm air quoting for those of you can't see me. (laughs) Of which I will self-identify. Yeah. (laughs) So fast forward, you know, we start seeing trauma responses in men coming back from war. And then we get a PTSD and trauma line in the diagnostic manual that is used to diagnose mental health issues. So that's one body of literature. And that's really where trauma, the term comes from. Then we have another body of literature that starts in the 1990s, and that's coming out of Kaiser's adverse childhood event study. And what's so interesting is they were not trying to look, they were not thinking they were going to find a link between adverse events in childhood and physical health and early death, but that's what they found. And they replicated the study with the NIH in 96, 97. They looked at 17,000 people 
and they asked 10 questions of these people. And they were things like, did your parents get divorced? Did you ever see um, one of your parents strike another one of your parents? Did you lose a caregiver? So 10 questions that were pretty hard events. Those are called adverse childhood events or ACEs. And what they found is even one of those adverse events would decline, lead to a decline in health, but four or more led to an early mortality rate. And so what they also found is 64% of the adults of the 17,000 had at least one adverse event. And those adverse events, we know them as trauma because it came out of a different body of literature. These two weren't really talking to each other. And so the ACEs study started using the term toxic stress in order to identify what the body goes through when it holds on to those adverse events over time. But essentially you can use those terms interchangeably. They all are leading to the same conclusion, which is when you don't process your trauma, you end up with serious health, not just physical, but mental and and spiritual health issues. So that makes a ton of sense. And I appreciate that distinction. And I also think that it puts us in this position of, oh, great. So most of us are going to die younger. Thanks. (laughs) There's good news. (laughs) Actually. So you just said, like, if we don't process our trauma and work through our trauma. So can we talk about that piece? What does it look like to do that work? And I will say like, as someone who does that work from time to time, don't love it. (laughs) Yeah. I know it's hard work. Um, It's good work, but it is hard work. I am with you. You know, there's great new research that's emerging that shows when we do resolve our trauma, it actually does reverse some of these effects. So that is excellent news. This like neuroplasticity, like our brain that can be changed. So can kind of the trajectory of our health after trauma, if we choose to process it. So processing trauma is really looking at what happened and being aware. I mean, I came to this through, you know, having a traumatic event when I was eight years old, not remembering it. And then being a complete alcoholic by the time I was 18 to the point where I was in rehab and in a halfway house, not understanding why I drank every day before high school finally connecting those together, realizing that I was self-medicating. And so um, what we have is when we don't process what's happened to us, we have these reactions, these symptoms that crop up and they are going to help us kind of dull what happened to us. So we definitely want to process it. One of the best ways to do that is to become aware. And this can be tricky because we do have a lot of numbing activities in our society that are completely acceptable and socially actually really advantageous in a lot of ways. Right. But if we want to get curious, we talk a lot in our program about being benevolently curious. And in other words, being very kind to ourselves and being curious about why am I drinking so much when I said, I'm going to have one glass or why am I just raging at my kids when I said I wasn't going to act this way. And so getting really curious in a kind way and, and starting to kind of become aware of maybe what's happening in our body and that nervous system work, it's really about what's happening in the body. 
is really going to give us a lot of clues into maybe the car accident we had was a lot more impactful than I realized. And I'm having a really difficult time. And so creating awareness and then doing what we call somatic work, which is working with the body and processing trauma through the body, whether that is through trauma-informed yoga, trauma-informed meditation, breath work, we do EMDR. We have a lot of different protocols that are shown in the research to be very, very effective for processing trauma. And once we're able to do that, we can kind of stop those maladaptive behaviors from running the show. Cause that's what ends up happening yeah. is our symptoms end up kind of mm. taking over and, and then we lose our choice. We lose our agency. And that's, I think the most insidious part of trauma is we just start acting out of our past instead of making conscious choices. Right. I think a really important piece of this, and I think this is what's often like the catalyst for change for a lot of women, for a lot of moms is recognizing like, oh, if I don't figure this out, what am I going to be passing on to my kids? What am I modeling to them? What it like, how is this impacting how I show up as a parent? As it turns out, I have a child who's also hypervigilant and who has not had traumatic experiences in his life. And I'm like, how does this child of privilege have this? So it's really, really interesting to watch and to see. So can we talk about trauma getting passed down, whether that is like, and I'd be, I would love to hear your take on like it being passed down from like the framework of DNA versus mm-hmm. the framework of just like an anxious parent raising a yes. kid. Yes. Um, and then also what we can do to minimize the impact of passing trauma down to our children? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, and mm-hmm. actually that's what keeps me up at night. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I do not want to mess this up. Right. I do not want them to have the same challenges. They're going to have their own challenges, Yeah. but every mom and dad I know just wants to do right by their child. And so I think, first of all, we know trauma does get passed down generationally. There's been some great studies in the field of epigenetics which is the way our genes are expressed that show that when we have a trauma, and we saw this in Rwanda uh, when our team was working there, um, second generation children who were not born until after the genocide was over, they showed higher rates of alcohol and drug use. And so, and through research, they were able to see that there was a change in their DNA, that there was a fraying of the ends of their DNA. Um, it's called the telomere effect. And what that does is it changes how genes are expressed in generations, um, you know, subsequent to the patient zero, if you will, of the trauma. Well, that's one piece. And I think that's important. Epigenetics is still pretty controversial. And I think we're going to watch this and we're going to see how this plays out this field. I think there's some merit to it and I can't wait to see what other studies come out. The other piece is the behavioral piece, which is what you're talking about. So if I'm an anxious mom and I'm constantly anxious with my kids, then they are probably going to pick up on that. We know that nervous systems talk to each other. So I'm co-regulating with them. And if I'm co-regulating from an anxious state, then they're not, we're not regulating, we're (laughs) co-dysregulating. So we have the behavioral piece as well. And again, the cool thing is, is that when we address what's happened to us, instead of just like that happened, I'm going to get, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm over it. When we actually address it, 
not only do we have different genetic expressions, but our behaviors change. And both of those can send us on a better trajectory for our children and our children's children. So there's a lot of good news when we, when we look at what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting and really helpful. That really specific language that you used about how our nervous systems talk to each other, I think is really mm-hmm. helpful. It reminds me of, and I can't think of there's, I feel like there's a study I want to reference that I can't think of right now, but what feels like really palpable to me is when you're trying to rock a crying baby, but you're really tense yourself and you're yes. like trying to use your like <laughs> yes. most like super calm Zen voice, but like your whole body is really tense, but you're like trying to sing a lullaby. <laughs> yes. hundred like, percent. The baby not feel that. And that I remember 100%. fighting that. Like mm-hmm. I would- totally remember fighting that with my own. I think every mom you're yes. like, it's 3am. You just want to go back to sleep. And you're like, yes, how can I fake being Zen right now? Because yes. my body is like screaming with rage that I have to sing this song. Yep. Again. And they're picking up on our nervous system, not our words. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> totally. We used to travel a lot when the kids were young mm-hmm. and not wanting to bother anyone on airplanes, you know, like, oh. okay, come on. This is okay. And inside I'm like, please stop. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. I yeah. S- just you telling like saying airplane, I like start sweating. I remember <laughs> just sweating on flights. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There, I, we had a, one flight from Phoenix to Seattle where I was in the middle seat with my son and the guy next to me plugged his ears, like oh. fingers in his ears the entire flight while my child no. screamed. And I kept like, I was like, can I buy you drinks? He's like, I don't drink. And I was like, oh my God, my God, like, <laughs> maybe you should. No. <laughs> oh my God. I, I was horrible. But every time I get on a flight, I would just like be sweating like the whole way. Like, but then like, okay, like stay really relaxed, baby. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And they are picking up Mm -hmm. on our physical, you know, nervous system cues more than anything. Yeah. So when we talk about, I think it's important to talk about what it looks like to, cause it's like, okay, well then just process your trauma. So we know we can do this through therapy. We know that we can do this. I did some hypnotherapy, which was really helpful and really interesting you mentioned somatic work, mm-hmm. you mentioned trauma-informed yoga. Mm-hmm. What other things as moms are listening, what are the things? And I also want to like give a little bit of an invitation to like low-hanging fruit. I think that sometimes, and I, and I will say this was my in my case for sure, when we say like, okay, like let's just take on processing trauma, that feels really big and hard and scary. Um, yeah. and I remember actually going to therapy a number of years ago. And telling the woman, like, I know that I'm here because I eventually need to talk to you about some, about some, my relationship with my dad, but I'm not ready mm-hmm. to do that yet. Yeah. And like, after a year and a half, I was like, so I'm still not ready to do that. <laughs> it's not <laughs> funny, but it is. Cause I can relate, no, yes. no, but I'm like, and we got to this point in the sessions where I'm like, so I don't really have anything else to talk about, but I'm not ready to talk about that thing. Yeah. And finally I was like, I was, so we're going to be done now. <laughs> yeah. I'm just not ready to go there. Yeah. Um, and then I like went back a number of years later, like, okay, like, uh, so when we create an invitation to like, just go process your trauma, mm-hmm. that is like a big, heavy, scary thing. What are, are there gentle ways to enter? Yes. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad you asked this. So first I want to tell you mm. some of the coolest research that's coming out of the trauma field is that in fact, when we experience something overwhelming, that the area of our brain that processes speech shuts down Braca's area. Mm. So naming and talking specifically about what happened to us is often impossible because we literally had our speech center shut down during the event. So what this means is that, yes, we have to have awareness of what happened to us, 
do we have to in detail articulate every single thing? No, because we probably couldn't if we tried. And I know from my own early abuse, I've never been able to formulate in detail what happened to me, but I know what happened to me and I've been able to communicate that. So know that you don't have to verbatim talk about what happened to you. You do need to, in generalities, have an awareness and be able to convey that to a professional. Second, I am a huge fan of micro steps and baby steps because the brain feels safer when we have small steps. Of course, the brain wants to keep us alive, but the brain also wants to keep us safe. And the brain typically doesn't feel safe when we're trying to make radical changes. So when we go into this type of work, the best way to go is through these micro steps. And that can be free form journaling, where we're just getting out all the things that we may or may not want to tell another person. We can do movement. Movement is bilateral stimulation. It's the same activity that works for EMDR treatment, which is the most efficacious treatment for PTSD and trauma. We can go to EMDR, which I don't know if you've ever done EMDR. I haven't. And it's oh, multiple Sarah. people. Like, tell me because you okay. mentioned it to me and it's like been very intriguing. So please, yeah, go okay. ahead. Okay. It's incredible. And here's why. Studies show that one session of EMDR is the equivalent of seven talk therapy sessions. It's extremely effective. It's the most researched um, method for trauma recovery there is because it's a little kooky and (laughs) people are like, how could this work? But essentially in EMDR, you're not articulating all of the things that happened to you. You're reprocessing memory and it's done through either tracking Um, So your eyes are tracking back and forth, or you can use tapping. So you're doing bilateral stimulation. I know you are a fitness coach. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot about movements on the opposite side of the body. So what EMDR does is it opens up some of those memories and we reprocess them very quickly, but with full information, when we have a really hard event, it's like our brain is taking snapshots of the event in rapid succession but we don't retain all of that in our conscious memory. And so what EMDR does is it helps us see, it brings up more of the event in the way that helps us see more accurately. So for instance, you know, we've had clients who have had a really difficult experience. They've done EMDR and realized that in fact, in that car accident, they did try and help their children immediately after the car accident. They just didn't remember it when they woke up on the side of the street. They thought they had abandoned their kids and got themselves out of the car accident, out of the automobile. But in fact, their memory was open and they were more able to accurately assess what happened. And then you start, um, you add in resourcing through EMDR, which is basically helping you install more, I guess, compassion for yourself. So I don't know a lot about your hypnotherapy experience, but part of hypnotherapy as I understand it is also to resource you and to help you through that. And that is definitely a component of EMDR as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that was part of the hypno experience was like going back to like being in a certain situation and Mm -hmm. then like putting yourself there and kind of thinking through processing that, recognizing like, where did you get stuck in that moment? And then what is that? Like, where has that been replicated itself? Which was real fascinating. Yes. (laughs) 
right? <laughs> to see the patterns. Yeah. Yeah. And like, where, where have you replicated relationships and like, why do you have an anxious attachment in an adult relationship? That's like parallel to this anxious attachment that you had as a kid, like yeah. super, super interesting um, and yeah. really helpful. Yep. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. These tips are, I love micro steps just because I think this makes everything more accessible, which I think is so Mm -hmm. important. I also want to acknowledge that the examples that we've used have been, you know, this moment from your past, this moment, you know, a car accident, a thing that happened in your Mm -hmm. childhood. But I also think that these are micro steps that we can take to processing, bringing this full circle, the trauma that we've just all endured over the last few years in terms of when we talk about like processing and self-compassion to like use this conversation as an invitation to sit down and think through and write out or talk with a friend or with a professional. um, What are the things that we have endured 
individually over the last few years and what have the impacts been? And I know that this has been something that I've been giving a lot of thought to as I've had like professional shifts and pivots and adaptations that have been hard and sticky and and uncertain over the last couple of years, last few years. And so I've been thinking through like, okay, so you did this and then you did this and here's what happened here and here's what happened there. And giving yourself permission to process that and see it for what it was has been helpful in recognizing, okay, now here's what I want to do now that I can see that. And also for me, something just really recently that's been really helpful is recognizing like, oh, that's why you're so tired. Of course you're so tired. Like, instead of being like, I just need to get through this day, like, come on, get it together. Be like, actually, no, you're really tired. You've worked exceptionally hard the last few years under exceptionally challenging circumstances in a universe that like nobody saw coming that you will hopefully not be replicated in your lifetime. And like, when did you give yourself permission to rest in any of that? Um, so I want to acknowledge that, that piece of it as well. I don't know if there's anything you want to add. And no, I think that's beautiful. And I think with the, I would Mm -hmm. say the mass trauma, the collective trauma of COVID globally, I think processing with a trusted friend processing, through writing that is very, very effective. I think when we feel nervous to go out in public, when we feel nervous to travel, there's all these firsts again. And I think a lot of them we're getting used to, you know, we've, it's been gradual, the reopening, but as we um, show, as we bump up against some resistance to something that maybe we used to do pre-pandemic, use that benevolent curiosity. What's going on with me? Why am I feeling so agitated all of a sudden when I'm ready to fly with my family or I'm ready to go to a block, a neighborhood block party again. And so using that curiosity to kind of have it point to what's happening for you and then allow yourself the grace to know that you are doing remarkable. The fact that you are here the fact that you are parenting and really just existing in the world right now, I think is miraculous what everyone has been through. I really do. Absolutely. And again, it's like, well, you know, we had to survive and raise our and keep our babies alive. So of course we did that, but we haven't given ourselves. More. Yeah, so exactly. Everyone can give themselves a pat on the back yes. and go take a nap now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we're getting close on time. Oh my gosh, Amy, I could talk to you for like seven more hours. Tell Thank folks you. how you work with people and what, who might be able to get some support for you and what sure. ways. Yeah, we work, I run Mending Trauma as Sarah has mentioned, and we work with women who are typically high achieving, much like the listeners here on this beautiful podcast. And what we do is we walk people through a gentle process of processing their trauma or their hardships. And we do that in a way that is filled with micro steps and lots of support. We often get asked, how do I know if I have trauma? And so we actually have a quiz that you can take and it is mendingtrauma.com backslash trauma quiz. And you can see if you do have trauma and what your trauma response is, because we all have different trauma responses and different ways that we respond to trauma. Um, And then you can, um, you know, decide how you don't have to deal with your trauma right now. You absolutely do not have to, that's also agency, but you can kind of put that information in your back pocket and know that that's something you may or may not want to work on this year. (laughs) 
the, right, exactly. To be like, and actually we're not ready. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in not my it. Case, not it. In my yeah. case about five years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, I will say the therapist I was working with at the time, she goes, you know, everyone has a basement full of boxes and some people like to bring up one box at a time and other people like to bring up all the boxes. And so she's like, you know, you've brought up a few boxes, but you're like definitely wanting to keep some boxes in the basement. And I was like, yep, yep. <laughs> and that's okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to mention the quiz. So mendingtrauma.com slash mm-hmm. I just went to trauma it, quiz. quiz. Oh, you're saying trauma quiz. I oh, it is quiz. quiz. Oh, okay. Let great. Me, Thank you. Or maybe both of them work, but the oh, link I had in my do. notes was slash quiz. So <laughs> we'll link everything in the show notes. Okay. Excellent. What, what works for me just now so that for people oh, who are like, good, very curious, and wanting to go do this right now over at mendingtrauma.com slash quiz. We'll link everything up in the show notes for folks. Do you work with people virtually? We do. We are hundred okay. percent virtual. Okay. Yes. Okay, great. Absolutely. And yes. so you're not um, limited by certain States or anything like that. We are not. No, okay. that's a great okay. question. Yeah. Okay. And then anything you want to say about who would be a good fit to reach out to you or will, if they take the quiz, will it kind of guide them into Yeah. It should guide them into the next steps if they feel like that's something they're ready to look at, but we can always also hop on a call. And if there's any questions we have, our whole team, you know, takes calls different days of the week so that we can help people decide if that's what they're ready for. So, yeah, I love it. I also want to say, I think taking this quiz and having an assessment tool is a gentle micro step. (laughs) That's a lot different than like calling someone and being like, okay, now I'm ready to start. So this, for people who are just a little curious, I think this is a really good starting point where you can just like, go be a little curious and answer a few questions and just kind of see, which feels like dipping a toe in, which I know when I've made commitment to this kind of work in the past, those kinds of entry points are just really appreciated. So thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. Um, Okay. So we'll link everything in the show notes in terms of finding you, getting to your website, getting to the quiz. We'll also link up um, social media for you. And then can you tell us, Amy, how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? Oh, yes. Okay. I had to ask my sister this because I'm, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I had something accurate to report. <laughs> she said, and I have to agree, one of my shameless mom characteristics is I will apologize all day long. I will admit my mistakes. I will apologize and I will try again. And especially with my children, which I... um think, I hope I am modeling how to repair with them. So that is my shameless mom characteristic. Oh, I love that one. I try to do that too, but I could use some improvement on it. <laughs> it it's, I mean, the ego. I mean, I feel like the older he gets, the more often I have to apologize. Oh girl, every day I'm like, I'm really sorry. I said that I'm really sorry. Yeah. I raised my voice. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> Oh my goodness, Amy, this has been so fun. I mean, we did do a good job of bringing levity to trauma. I think so. Sarah, I loved Um, talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I so appreciate the work that you're doing. People can go over to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Dr. Amy Hoyt and get all the resources over there. Thank you, Amy, for being here. Please come back and let's do another part two of this conversation because this is so, so valuable. Be so honored. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash 
Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.